Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Relational Vampires, Part 4, Hypocritical People, recorded Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. We've been discussing this challenge that we have with challenging people. You know, we talk, we've talked in the last month about controlling people. We talked about needy people. Last week, Dan talked about people who can be critical. And this week, we're talking about those who can tend to be hip, 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 hypocritical or who struggle at some point in their life with that. And, and before we jump into that, I do want to also mention that in two weeks, on November 5th, we, uh, we're going to have our annual celebration where we also, as a congregation, do the business of the church. And if you're a member of our church, 18 years of age or older, we ask you to be sure to be here to participate in our affir- affirmation of the budget for 2024. We, we just want, in unity, the church comes together every day. But in that day, we do some things that are important for our future. So... Uh, if you have any questions about that, uh, you can stop at the Hub, and we also have copies of the budget there if you want a copy of that. Well, I think there's a great verse that can guide our interactions with hard-to-love people, and we've talked about several of them. And that verse is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where it says, Love must be sincere. Sincere. Hate what is evil and do what is good. Cling to what is good. Now, uh, we're talking about hypocrites today, and that word comes from Greek theater, ancient Greek theater, and uh, Hippocrates was a person who stood on a stage and acted out a character and used a mask to hide their true self. And that's a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about with hypocrisy. It's the person that plays a role in front of others, but all the while is living a double life. So how do I love a person who's living that life? Because that can be draining. One of the most common reasons that people will give for not coming to a church, they'll say things like, well, it's just full of hypocrites. And that might even be how you feel today. Maybe you're here today because you love someone who was baptized, but you're like, I got to go in there with all those hypocrites and watch this baptism. I mean, because people do feel that way sometimes. But I would, I would say this, to say that I'm not going to come to church because of the hypocritical people there, that'd be like the same logic that a person uses when they're bleeding to death, and they won't go to the emergency room because there's a bunch of sick people there. I mean, really, think about it. I mean, the question is, what am I going to do with the, the, the sin that's in my life? Not so much about what are those people doing with theirs, <laughs> you know? Now, it's not an excuse, by the way. That's just a perspective. Jesus had no problem calling hypocrisy out. As a matter of fact, if you read through the Gospels where we see most of his teachings come into into play, we see that he had the most scathing things to say about those who were living a double life in religion. He didn't like it, but he also saved many of them. he, He addressed it, but not to send them to hell, but rather to bring them back to God, okay? But there are people who struggle with hypocrisy. Would you agree with that? Would you say that maybe you could be one of those people? Like there's always that person who's giving advice online or giving advice just in person, and they they use all these religious quotes, you know, but you look at their life and you go, well, I don't know if they're much better than I am. They struggle with things. There's the person who's piling on someone in social media 
for all their flaws, but you, you kind of see they're ignoring their own pettiness in those comments. There's the junior who's really sweet at element on Wednesday night when you guys are together in your small group, but, you know, they won't give you the time of day when you're at, uh, at the homecoming dance. Those people exist. There's the guy in your group that wants to make the group believe that he's just perfectly on target with his sobriety. He's been working on that, and yet, and even giving people advice there in the group about theirs, and yet you, you still smell alcohol in his breath, you know? And so you know that he's not being all that, you know? There are businesses that put the fish cling on their signs and on their vehicles, and yet you wonder if their customer service reflects that very well or the way they treat their employees. I mean, there's, it's like the 12-year-old who was waiting for his first orthodontist appointment. And so you have to fill out this little form that says, what are your hobbies? That's one of the questions. And he, he's, he puts football, basketball, video games, flossing. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> That's hypocrisy, okay? Come on, kid. Now, not defending hypocrites. Not, not going to do that because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm, but I am glad about hypocrites that they're here. If, they're, if you're here and, a hip, and you've been hypocritical, you've been kind of walking in two worlds, I'm really glad you're here because you're in good company. As a matter of fact, I, I think if, if someone is struggling with sin, they should have the assurance that they're not the only ones that are here struggling. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. But that doesn't mean we don't respond. That doesn't mean that we don't have a ministry, okay? How do I love someone who's not playing, not just playing a role, or that's playing a role and not really playing it out in their life? How do I love them? What can I do to love them and, and yet not ignore where they might potentially be hurting themselves, our relationship, the, the church possibly? So what can we do? Well, first of all, I think you have to determine why are they acting that way? Because there might be reasons. Like maybe they are new to Jesus and they just don't know any better. Like, you know, we, we kind of tend to think if we've been around the church for a while and been doing this for a while, people should know better when in fact they really don't, okay? Because they're new in this. And Paul has this statement about new people in, in, in the faith. He calls them infants. <laughs> he says they're just like babies and they need some milk. And as they get some strength and as they learn and grow, then they become ready for more solid teachings. So infants, our responsibility to them is to help them mature as we're maturing, okay? But what if they should know better? Because that's another person. That's, that's the person who really has been walking the walk and talking the talk, but the walk and the talk still aren't really working very well, okay? So Peter has something to say about that. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. He talks about how we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. We're God's special possession. So he's showing us who we are in Christ. We, we exist to declare the praises of him because he called us out of darkness and into a world of light and love and grace and hope and eternity, and I'm filling in. And then he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires 
which wage war against your soul. In other words, we're not just supposed to accept the fact that we're sinners and keep living in it. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to refrain from the things that have wrecked our lives and not go back to them. Live good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God. And it sets them up for the day when he's going to return. See, there's a lot of people in, in our world that, you know this, that claim that they have Christ in their life but nothing doesn't change in their life. Like, and they'll even brag about it. Some people, they'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. Uh, the Scripture never teaches that. <laughs> never. I don't know where they got that. The, the Scripture teaches that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and our receiving it, the baptisms represent that today, that that covers our sin. But it doesn't say we can keep doing it. As a matter of fact, the Scripture's emphatic that we're supposed to keep growing away from sin ever more into the glory of living in His, in his world and in new life with Him. But I think we get really good at justifying our lives. We get kind of self-righteous. And self-righteousness leads to rationalization, and rationalization leads to hypocrisy. And hypocrisy reveals our current character our current character. So, it affects my relationships. It affects my credibility. Others might reject God because they equate me with something that I'm supposedly supposed to be like God in terms of how I'm living my life, and yet I'm not. So they use that as an excuse. That's all it is, but they use it as an excuse. So, we got to ask the why question. Like, like why is a person behaving hypocritically it might be they just don't know better, so we're going to help them grow. But it also might be that they're denying that they need to change. And they're being inconsistent, and they're not dealing with it. So how do we respond to that person? The person who currently is being hypocritical in the way they live their Christian life. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about it from the framework of prayer. Prayer has to be at the center of my stepping into that. Okay, if I'm going to confront someone, I better be right with God and in prayer. So here's four ideas for you if you feel like it's time to step in on a relationship where this is an issue. First of all, you pray, God, control me, help me to confront with a heart to restore. Because any time a person of faith steps into confrontation, it should be with one purpose, and that is to restore them to God. Restore them to God, their relationship with God, and thusly their relationship with us, with you, with me, with their family, whatever's going on. And we got we to gotta do that carefully. That's the second thing. We pray, God, Jesus, restore carefully. Carefully. It's just important for us not to, to, to run into these relationships with some kind of an answer unless we have brought some strategy to it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we, when, we, when we have needy people in our lives that are always trying to get things from us that we can't give them. So you have to be strategic about how you're going to love them, right? And, and as a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 12 warns us, it says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So there's humility involved. There's, you know, there's dealing with my own 
challenges before I step into someone else's. It's, these things are involved. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, actually gives us a directional approach when a brother or sister is struggling in, with a sin, even the sin of hypocrisy. hypocrisy. And I'm going to talk through it with you because I think it's really the way Christians should behave with each other when there's these things happening. It says this in, in verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, now that's really important to hear right now because this is how we help believers who are acting inconsistently. It's not, this isn't your pagan, I use the term because they don't know God and they're not walking in Christ. We're, this isn't for that relationship, okay? This is with brothers and sisters, people who should know better because they're walking with Jesus, right? So if your brother or sister sins, then go point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Did you hear that? Just between the two of you. Because if they listen to you at that level, you're going to win them over. In other words, win them over means that they're going to, they're going to come to their senses on things. Maybe you're going to learn some things and you're going to be also a part of this adjustment. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Jesus says that if a Christian sins against you, you go to them in private, you, you discuss it, you lay out the issue, you don't run to the preacher first, you don't run to your small group, you don't go to your bestie, you don't go cancel them on social media and throw them under the bus. No, you, you go to them in private and you say, I love you, here's what I see. Help me, help me, because I want to help you. I was hurt by that. You're hurting your family. There's something that you need to make right because God's working on me to love you this way. You don't leave that moment until you're in good footing. It's grace. It's relationship. Grace. It's love going forward. It's caring enough to love someone that way. Now, if they get defensive, if they get real negative with you, and you feel like it still needs to be addressed with them, you got to take another step. And Jesus says this is a step. If they don't listen, take one or two others, take them along so that every, every situation, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Objective witnesses. Now, the witnesses aren't there to pile on. They're there to objectively observe how this is coming down so that there can be reconciliation. That's all that means. It's not like three-on-one here. No. This is, hey, here's this issue. We're still trying to work it out. Obviously, they're going to have to agree to that. You know, if they don't agree to it, you, don't, you can't take witnesses. Okay. Now, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, they're not behaving as one of our family and the family of God. Now, tell it to the church. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you drag someone here on Sunday morning down the aisle and you put them out here in front. We all lay on their sin and then we'll hand out some stones or something and we'll just put them, we'll put them down right here in front of us. That's how they used to do it. Like that's how, in Jesus' day, that's how they did that. Well, he changed things. This means that you pull in a church leader that can objectively look at it and if it has to go to the point where a person's released from the church, they will make that determination. And uh, that happens rarely. <laughs> like, rarely does that happen, okay? Because usually it's resolved long before that. And sometimes that's just not the right thing to do. Just because two of you disagree on something, it may not be that kind of an offense, okay? 
So I'm just saying this can be complicated, but let me, let me take you to a third level of how we pray about stepping into confrontation when it comes to things like hypocrisy. Lord, I don't want my refusal to help to affect their eternity, so give me the courage when I need to to step in. Because my refusal to get involved could cost them possibly their, a better life, maybe minimally, and possibly their eternity. I mean, you, 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 I don't want to be responsible for that. I know, it's, I know it's simplistic. I couldn't think of anything else this week. But let's just suppose that you're walking down the hike and bike trail, and it's a beautiful fall day, and there's some guy, you notice his lawn kind of butts into the, into the, into the easement there, and, and he's out there weed-eating, and he's got his, his headphones on, listening to the Huskers or something, and, and, uh, and you notice that a power line has somehow come down, and he doesn't know that. And you actually see it's kind of, you know, sparking. And, you, you know, you're taking all this in, and you see that he's got his back to it, and he's weed-eating, and he's coming back into it. Now, now, what would you do with that? I mean, would you go, oh, well, you know, I'm on this path, and, you know, really, he's going to have to worry about his own life. I don't, I'm not going to be, you know, whatever happens, happens, you know. No, of course, of course you're not. You're going to, I think you're probably going to somehow try to warn him that, that there's danger there, okay. And, 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 and it's not just that it's not my problem, right? It's his bigger problem, but I have a problem. Jesus warned some highly religious men that they were in danger of hell, and he was very direct about it, and, and he addressed it with them, and, and he was very firm about his fears that their hypocrisy would send them to hell. And it says in the Scriptures that many of the priests became followers of Jesus. So his warnings mattered to some. But I, I do think something happens to us. We get kind of triggered because of our own lives, about other people's sin. You know what I mean? Like, I have triggers, and, and you have some triggers. So it might be a religion trigger where someone, you know, comes off like all holy and righteous, but like you know that everything's not just that way in their life because you know that they have some anger that they deal with all the time. And they're vindictive against people who don't agree with them, and maybe they even are quite scathingly critical of people who aren't quite like them. It could be a, a kind of a personal weakness that comes out of your own life. So, for instance, you know, if, if you grew up in a home where you had parents that were alcoholics, and they just, you know, for all your childhood, you had to deal with their sin and live under that sin. And so now maybe you're just like, yeah, I just can't have any tolerance for that in my life or in the life of the people around me. And so you're really hard on that sin. It could be gambling, you know, something like that triggers you. So you're judgmental about it. Maybe it's politics. Guess what's coming up next year? A whole year of politics, over-the-top politics. And man, does this happen or not? Like, here's what I think. Here's what you think. Go to hell. I'm, I'm just being honest. You know, we, we, we tend to think our politics are better than anyone else's. We can do that. We, can, we have to be careful about that. It triggers us, okay? So here's the thing. God, show me if I'm being a hypocrite. That's the fourth part of this prayer. 
You know, sometimes people say to me, hey, how do you come up with this stuff to say on Sunday morning? Like, like there's, it must be hard to say things like this to people. And the truth is, you know, like when I, usually when I'm teaching from this place, after prayer and study, I still have to do this before I come here every Sunday. I have to look in the mirror and say, oh, there's one. There's a former one. There's one who's in danger of becoming one. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. We look in the mirror. And if you can do that, you might be the best asset for someone else who's struggling with it. I just think it's important for us to have that. Here's the thing. One of the most important qualities of Christ awareness is self-awareness. See, it's hard for us to see the faults of others when I'm blinded by my own. Jesus called the Pharisees at one point blind guides. Now, there are going to be times when some you care about, someone you love, someone who has influence on others in a church or in a community, that they're going to need you or me to step in to point out an inconsistency that could be hurting us, hurting a relationship, hurting our small group, hurting our church, because we're believers and we can do that. I want to tell you a story that kind of points out how this worked for a man in the Old Testament. You've probably heard of David, the king, the king of Israel. And, and he, he was a very important man in the history of, of the world in terms of his being the king of Israel and, and all the things that he did. And he became very safe and secure at a point in his life being the king. And yet his nation was still at war with the Philistines. Well, it says this one spring he sent his armies off to war, and this time he didn't go. Instead, he stayed back and kinged it up, I guess. I don't know. Well, he got a little bored, I think. One night he stepped out on his balcony, and he looked down, and of course he probably had the highest balcony in the kingdom, and he looked down at this balcony below him, and there was this beautiful woman who was bathing. And he, he looked too long, to be frank. He looked too long, and his heart went there. So he called her to his, to his palace, and she, with flattery, came, and it went where it shouldn't have gone, and she got pregnant. She came back and told him what had happened, and instead of letting that be the moment of realization where he had to be a man and step up and, and do what was right, he did something incredibly wrong. He, her husband was at war at the time. He called out to his general and said, put him on the front line, and he was killed in battle. A horrible thing to do. Well, he had a, a man, a prophet, like his pastor, I guess you could say, one of his pastors, and a, and a friend of his named Nathan who came to him. God had given Nathan a message to go to the king. And Nathan told him a story just a little parable. He told him about a man who had one ewe sheep. It was, it was his prized possession. He only had one. He was a poor man. And there was another man who had a whole flock of sheep, a rich man, who wanted to throw a banquet for his friends. And instead of using one of his many sheep from his flock, he took the sheep from the poor man, and he used that for his banquet. 
And, you know, there's more to it than that. You can read about it. But it says that as David heard Nathan tell this story, he became irate that a man would do that, that would take his prize, his prize sheep and he would slaughter it for his own use. And you can imagine then how Nathan brought the story home to David. He said, you are that man. Then he walked back through David's sin with Bathsheba and having Uriah, her husband, killed in battle. And then he laid out the judgment that God had for him. Now, the reason I tell you that story is this. David is a man who's described from the Scripture as being a man after God's own heart, and yet he lived in hypocrisy, like many of us can tend to do. It's a tragic story. And whenever I'm most condemning of someone else, maybe that's a sign that I've got business to do in my own life with God. Does that make sense? Now listen, if you're new here and you're just trying to figure out what it means to attach to God and get on track with God, I hope what you'll see here, and don't be, care be careful about this, is just a bunch of other people doing the same thing. Like, we're just trying to figure out how to journey with God in the right way. We're not saying we're better than you or worse than you. We're just all on the same journey. We're all beggars looking for bread from God, you know. We're all on the same hope journey. And so we're here to worship him, to serve him, and we're here to grow to be like him. And we're not always going to be perfect. But, but if, if you don't feel like an outlier, but rather that you're known, valued, and loved in this room, we're doing what we're supposed to do with you. Because here's the thing, there's not one of us that's going to change you. There's only one who can change you, and that's the king of the universe, and that's Jesus. Now, I hope this series has helped you. I hope it's helped you to think about people in your life that can be kind of vampirish in the way that they suck life out of us. But I also pray that we've all been able to look in the mirror a little bit and say, you know what? God, I am so grateful that you love me beyond myself. And I think if we can do that together, we'll always be the kind of church that he needs us to be. We're going to commune together, but let's pray. Lord, we enter this experience, the Lord's Supper, weekly. We do this weekly here. It's a reminder that, that there's things about our lives that cannot be made right except through your mercy and grace. It also is a time when we come together in communion. We, we're here with others who are trying to find the path that leads home, and we found it through Jesus, through you. This is a table we also take to, to our world. As you infuse us with your love and your mercy and your grace, that's what we take out there so that people can see your glory in our lives, not as perfect people, but people who understand the one who saves us. And there's grace here. Lord, for those of us who may have, may have brought a judgmental and maybe even a hypocritical attitude into this moment, we confess and repent that, knowing that your grace does cover sin. Your sacrifice, your death, your resurrection proves that I can give you my sin and I can now go give your grace and I should never keep it for myself. That's what this moment reminds us of. Because of Jesus, in his name we pray, amen. We take the bread.
representative of a Jesus who came into our world to be broken so that we could made, be made whole. And as believers in Christ, we find hope in Jesus. We take the cup, symbolic of his blood shed on the cross to cover our sins. To make us new and holy, not because of us, but because of him. God's been pushing on my heart saying, are you still with me? Are you, are you in surrender? Are you, are, you, are you willing to lay it down? You know? And I know some of you are like at this point in your life where you've, you've been really struggling with, with God and with life in general. And, and you're ready to take a step of surrender where you lay it down. And we have no better Sunday to remind us what that looks like in a step than when we witnessed the baptisms this morning. Next week, we're going to offer that opportunity in a big way. And, you know, if God is pushing on you and saying, look, surrender, lay it down, don't be afraid, I'm here for you, and you've not taken that step of baptism, make next weekend, make it your weekend. You and God, laying it down, trusting him, surrender. That's what that baptism represents. And I hope that you'll come ready to do so. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.